Hey everyone, I'm Sarah James, a beauty blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about two women trying to tackle better self-care. We are both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet we find it elusive. And while we may have all the info we need, we don't always get there. From the silly to the serious, we are taking a vulnerable yet humorous look at body, mind, and spirit and maybe a touch of the random, all while looking at the distractions and defenses that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, well today we are going to be talking with a doctor. Um, Her name is Cynthia Lee and she is talking about her experience of having this sort of physical and existential health crisis where um, even though she was trained in Western medicine, she had to turn to some alternatives. So it's a really fascinating story of um, a doctor who found herself dealing with chronic pain and other issues um, and some of the learnings that she had around taking care of herself in other ways. So I think you guys will find it really interesting. Um, But first, Sarah and I are going to do a self-care check-in. Sarah, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm I'm doing pretty good. I am like, um, I'm trying to ramp up for Halloween right now. And I've I've kind of dropped the ball and I'm a little bit stressed. What do you mean you dropped the ball? Well, you know, you know, Kristen, um, Halloween is my favorite holiday. You go pretty big. I go hard on Halloween. You dress up yourself, not just your children. Oh, for like uh, last year, I ordered contacts from Uh Dubai that were so. (laughs) I remember that. Well, I believe that they were contacts that also give gave you an eye infection. If I remember well, correctly, I think that actually was the tweezer that I stuck into my eyeball oh. when I was trying to remove one of my false eyelashes. Okay, but yeah, it was just a bad situation. That was actually um, that was two Halloweens ago. Okay, <laughs> that was the doll. You were a doll the one year, creepy doll. Last year, I was just that really creepy, like white-eyed, creepy—I don't know—creepy ghost, weird person. Yes, I just made her up. I didn't know. Any anyway, anywho. I had the brilliant idea over a month ago that I was going to do Stranger Things, the entire ensemble cast. Oh, my so gosh. So I cast out my net far and wide and found someone to dress up as every single person on Stranger Things. Adults. Okay? Yeah, adults and children. We oh, have my Children gosh. being the children, adults wow. being the adults. Um, yeah, I, it was amazing. And then, like, I don't know, I guess I kind of forgot that I did that and – got really on the fact that I was going to be um, Maleficent because then I could wear the creepy contacts again and the horns. And so I bought a whole, I just was thinking nobody really probably took that seriously. You know, I think it was actually like September when I did all this. Mm -hmm. And so this, just this weekend, we were um, out of town with some friends who are part of the ensemble cast and they were just talking about how pumped they are about their outfits they found. Oh crap. it's, It's so, and I'm sitting there going, I said, oh, um, is that like, is that, is that happening still? And they're like, yeah, it's happening. And then I started texting. Are you still going to be Hopper? Yeah, we're ready. I have not bought myself nor anyone in my family anything. And of course, now the week before Halloween, it's like everything on Amazon is Mm -hmm. quadruple quadruple the cost. It's like total price gouging. It's like, yes, you can have an 11 outfit and it's going to cost you $175. Oh my gosh. so now I'm just scrambling to put this whole thing together, which was my stupid idea in the first place. 
And I just, it's very unlike me and very not Enneagram 3 and type A for me to completely have dropped the ball on this. But I'm going to get it. It's fine. It's not, but I think you just, you got hung up on how cool you were going to look as Maleficent. I feel like (laughs) that's what happened. I was like, it's going to be the best Instagram photo (laughs) ever. Exactly. So who are you going to be then in the ensemble? So, oh, well, I'm Joyce. Winona Ryder. I mean, the bangs. I'm just going to let my hair air dry. So I actually got her outfit, like the little blue, you know, shirt with the little name tag. I just Mm kind of put it all together. And I don't know if you've never met him personally, but I know you know my friend Miles, Mm -hmm. who looks exactly like Hopper. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So he's going to be Hopper. Dustin's going to be Dustin, just as a joke, like with the curly hair and the little (laughs) green camp shirt. It's gonna be so good. It's so cute. Um, Derby's gonna be a Demi Gorgon. Okay. Um, and then Malou, of course, wants to be eleven. Of course. of course. But you know, her really good friend Iris has red hair. She's. I mean, it's just we have got people that look just like all the people. Travis, my friend, who you know, who does kind of rocking a bit of a mullet right now. He's uh-huh. gonna be. I think he's being Steve with like the ice so cream perfect. or corn dog. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great once I uh, nail down these four uh, costumes. In the next couple You'll of days. You'll pull it off. I know you will. I'm um, jealous because I, you know, used to do family theme costumes, but yes. my children refused to do that at the age They're of around it. seven. They were like, no, I'm not interested in this. I want to be, you know, Moana yada, yada. or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. So I'm jealous of the family theme costume. Well... It should be fun. The This whole group of us are obviously hanging out together yeah. over Halloween. So it, yeah, it'll be a good time. I'm excited. And of course, I still have already purchased Maleficent. So I'm going to have to create the whole Maleficent. And it will just be like my Halloween Instagram photo. But on actual Halloween, I'm going to be Joyce. I mean, but around. really isn't the creation really about the yes. Instagram photo. So it is. Yes. I, I, think, I don't want to scare little children. Yeah. You know, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. So I'm just going to do both. Um, and jo- how easy is Joyce? I mean, 90s jeans, which I pretty much wear every That's day. That's all you own. Yeah, yeah, a ringer tee. I don't have to do my hair. I'll just let it dry naturally because yeah, totally. it's all kind of wavy in her bangs. It's going to be the easiest Halloween of my life. And then you just need to look like confused and sad. Conf- yeah, confused and sad. And then a little bit overdramatic when yes. I get like upset about something. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's Not gonna amazing. Be hard. That's so funny. Well, could- um, I have a an eleven for Halloween this year too. That's what you Karis do. Is being. Yeah. Oh, uh, she is she doing like the jumper or no the pink dress? She, the pink dress. Yeah. Okay, Lou's doing the like the nineties jumper. Looks yeah. like jams. Yes. Which I'm still trying to uh, locate right now, oh, but man. um, yeah, yeah. Well, good. We got some Stranger Things going on over there too. Nice. What well, about you? I, What's going on? Uh, as you can hear, I have no voice, and that's because we had beer and hymns last night. And um, oh, you were singing loud. I think I'm gonna say that it. W- well, we have so we do beer and hymns, which is a hymn sing along in a bar. Um, but then we always do an after party, which is where we just start singing cover songs, and everybody sings along. And I'm, I mean everybody sings along but I think what really did me in was um Bon Jovi um oh my gosh living on a prayer living on a prayer oh oh god that'll take you down I mean that man has some range like that song does you can start it as low as you want but the (laughs) we're halfway there is gonna still be out of your you're still gonna be screaming by that point and I was I was just screaming (sighs) You know? oh my God, I love it. And then the next I day you're it. like, oh, 
um, I am older than I used to be, and I can't do this. I think you sound really sexy right oh, now. Thank you. It's a little Kathleen You're Turner. So welcome. Well, I, I feel I want to just formally apologize to all of our podcast listeners because <laughs> right now I'm hoarse. But for the last couple episodes, I was stuffy after my surgery. So I've just sounded weird for like two months. <laughs> Yeah. One day, one day you will hear the original Kristen Howard voice, but we don't know when that is. Thank you for putting up with my weird voice iterations. I like it. You know, just spicing it up, adding some character, character. But um, my update is in addition to just being too old to scream, sing and too too old to drink, apparently, because I have a hangover after one drink. What? Oh my gosh. Oh my wow. I just like I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like you know how like Not when a- you were younger, like what it took to get a hangover was a lot. Oh yeah. And now I feel like legitimately two drinks, I'm gonna have a headache the next day. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. But speaking mm-hmm. of getting older, okay, so I um I need help with complying with my glasses. Okay. Because I can't see anymore and I don't have, it's not like a diagno- a vision diagnosis. It's just old eyes, you know? Yeah, you need help reading. Yeah. I need phone. magnifying glasses. I need, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I'm at the point where if I get a bottle of medication, I can't read it. Yeah. If, if yeah. I buy something that needs to be cooked, I can't read the instructions. Like I, I can't read anything. Yes. <laughs> like, that's 44. That's. 44. Yeah. Like anything under a, a 12 point font, I just am like, well, I guess I just will guess how much medication to take <laughs> from this bottle. Um, but my problem is, I don't know what my deal is. I mean, I'm not used to wearing glasses. I have, I'm sure, five pairs of readers in my possession somewhere. I don't know where somewhere. any of them are. Mm-hmm. And, and they're never mm-hmm. available when I need them. So I just, mm-hmm. I'm failing at wearing glasses. And then I just like, I'm constantly not being able to read. And then I've, I've like almost accepted <laughs> like, well, I just can't read things. <laughs> like as if there's not an available option for me to help. Oh my God. Okay, Kristen, you just gotta, okay, we're gonna, we're going to, we're gonna commence this podcast recording when we're finished. And you're going to go find two pairs of these readers and you're going to put one in your purse in the case in the purse i know that will stay in your purse all the time and one next to your bed yes all the time but i think then you know what i need i just need to put a pair in the kitchen because the kitchen yeah the kitchen feels like my panic moment when i'm like something comes in the mail and i can't really <laughs> this is how bad it is <laughs> You know those, um, oh gosh, the FabFitFun boxes, you know yes. those, and they come mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of products. So yes. the last FabFitFun box came with an Aveda, it's called hair therapy. And then underneath uh-huh. there's a subheading that explains what it is. I uh-huh. couldn't read it. I had to Google it so I could read. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> is it shampoo? Is it conditioner? Is it a leave-in? I have no idea. Oh, it's just called hair therapy. And Lord. then the words are too small. So I need a pair in the kitchen too, because that seems to be yeah. where I'm like opening mail and like not being yeah. able to read anything in the kitchen. Yeah, or you could just get multifocal contacts like I wear every day of my life. But of course, I had your problem when I was eight years old. So, yeah, I've been living. I've been living your life my whole life. Like when I wake up, even as a teenager, I'd wake up and I'm like, "What time is it? I don't know. I can't see the clock. Can't see my watch." Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, you just need it. That's a perfect idea. Bedroom, purse, kitchen. 
Now I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. No, seriously. You know, the cool thing is now there are so many cool brands of readers, like so really cool many. frames. Well, first yeah. of all, you can get them from Warby Parker for I think their yeah. readers are 75 or 100. Yeah. But the, I mean, that is a little bit expensive. You can get them from yeah. Target for like 25. Yeah, I, I wish I could think of that. I can't right now. But there is a name of a brand that's so cool. They are so chic. They're so hip. All different colors, and they're just like, you know, plus one, plus well, 1.5, plus two. You've talked about those before, so for listeners, I will find it and put it in the oh, show notes nice. since our memory's not working right now. Yes. No memory. Oh, that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other, another other day. Topic. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. All right, what do you got for two thumbs up? Well, okay, my first one I have is that I finally bit the bullet and bought the personal size blender, the Nutribullet. Oh, the one I use. Yeah, you have the Nutribullet, right? Or yes, I love name? it. Yeah, With okay. With the so, um, you know, individual cups, like you make yes. it in the cup you're going to drink oh, it out of. Yes, yes, I love that. Because I have a Vitamix that I've had forever and ever Same. and ever, and I love it. But, you know, it's just like it's too big and I hate cleaning it. And it's like sometimes tedious. It is. And sometimes I just want to make a smoothie yeah. and, or my child wants a smoothie yes. and it's been amazing and i thought i mean i didn't they're i can't even remember they're not they really are affordably priced i think yeah oh, they um, are they're like 49 dollars. yeah no 49 it's 49 nice um and it, you know it comes if people don't know it comes with the two or three of the cups that fit right on top so you literally yeah. you like whoosh it up and you turn it over and it's already in your cup there yes. you go you get a little lid, you put your little straw in it. Of course, your your glass straw or your bamboo straw, if that makes or you Or your happy. Uh, metal. My, my daughter's your obsessed with the metal because she's a Visco girl. She, she's a Visco girl. Duh. Yeah. Just, oh that's all gosh. I hear all day long in my house. I hope. I hope. Yeah. Oh, my Malou gosh. too. So um, that's my number one. Nutribullet, I think it'd be so fantastic for smaller households. Um, just oh, my gosh. Yeah. Even a bigger household. I love it. So I'm using that all the time. Totally. And then my other two thumbs up is a leave-in conditioner for the hair by a brand called Evolve. Um, it's Evolve, E-V-O-L-V-H. H is the last letter, not Evolve. E. And this, <laughs> Evolve. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is a brand that I was using a year ago. I think I pretty much converted, I don't even know, lots of people to the shampoo and conditioner. And then we... I came to find out that they had kind of, uh, I wouldn't use the word lie, but they just hadn't given all the full information about what they were using to make the fragrance, which really smelled really good. But I knew the minute I smelled this, I was like, this is not, this is not a natural fragrance. Mm -hmm. There's just, I mean, you could tell. But I am really impressed. This brand, I mean, they heard it from enough people. They completely started from scratch and developed a whole new fragrance profile that's only essential oils it's they're totally transparent so you know exactly what's in it and it actually i think smells better it's kind of like a grapefruit smell anyway i'm so pumped because i used to use this leave-in conditioner and then i had to stop when the whole smell controversy thing happened the right. whole scent controversy and now i can use it again and it's so lovely for tangled hair thick hair coarse hair you just spray it in your damp hair after you get in the shower and then you can either you know blow dry it or just let it air dry um it is so good i'm just so happy it's like back in my life Ooh, i'm gonna have to try that lot. because i always need a good leave it do you use it on malou's hair too 
Yes. And they also have a great shampoo and conditioner that I am going to start using again. You know, people, I know a lot of people, we've talked about the one that I use, you know, the Andalou Naturals. Yeah. And I know on the Facebook group, a lot of people have started to use that. Um, sometimes like in the winter, I feel like I'm, I need a little bit more, more moisture. And mm-hmm. if you fall in that same camp, mm-hmm. you would love the Evolve shampoo and conditioner. Ooh. And there's a trio set you can buy where it's all three for like a little bit of a discount. So, okay. I'm going to have to try that. It's good stuff. What about you? Well, one of my thumbs up, um, I'm just like being super sexy in this episode, talking about my <laughs> um, inability to see. And then also um, I get to wear a night guard to bed okay. now. That's a new thing okay. because I okay. grind my teeth at night. Okay. I love well, it. I, I always have. I'm actually, again, trying to comply with the medical advice I've been given and, and wear the thing. Uh, yes, that'd be a good idea. So, you know, mm-hmm. if anyone has worn a night guard or a retainer, you know that when you put things in your mouth, they just smell awful, like awful. Yes. You know, yes. Um, yes. because your saliva is sitting on it. So <laughs> I anyway, if anyone else wears a night guard or a retainer, I found this aligner or an aligner. I found this aligner foam cleaner that I love. Um, it's called Eversmile and it's this it's foam. And so you kind of like pump it out and it foams around the whole thing and you can let it sit in it. And then when you put it back in your mouth at night, it tastes like minty and nice. What? I mean, I have an Invisalign retainer I have to wear every day of my life. Oh, and you need I need this, this in my life. You need it. Because I feel the exact same way. I, I brush mine, you know, with um, yeah. toothpaste and sometimes even with like a an organic soap. But still, yeah, I'm like, it's not good enough. Not yeah. good enough. And it's like, it's hydrogen peroxide based, which is funny. That's the kind of toothpaste I also like. Like, I feel like that yes. really gets things fresh. Yes. And then it's minty. So you would really like it. I feel like it absolutely refreshes the whole plastic thing. Like, I don't, okay. I, I feel like it's like... I'm sure it's in my mind too, but I just feel like it's like clean and minty when I put it in my mouth as opposed to like stinky and plasticky. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm buying it. I, I honestly don't even care what it's made of. I don't care. I just, just, just I'm, I'm on it. And then um, the other one is I discovered a new face oil. I am a total convert to face oil, um, but this one is um, a totally you know green and natural company called Olive and M, and they have a really simplified line for the face. It's like they have a cleanser, they have a toner, and they have a face oil. But the face oil I'm obsessed with. Um, Ooh. It's, got tons of antioxidants, vitamins, omegas. Um, It's got pomegranate seed oil, rosehip oil, and red raspberry seed oil. And I can, I can struggle with like face oils um, leading to breakouts, you know, but this one does not. This one is just really good. So if anyone is looking for a face oil, I I can't wear face oils during the day. I only wear them at night. I feel like you wear it during the day, don't you? Uh Uh-huh. I put it on I, I wash my face right right when I wake up. And so by the time I'm, you know, going out, it's soaked in. But the one the face oils I use are pretty they they absorb quickly. I can use face oil in the day anywhere but the T zone. If I get oil anywhere near oh, my forehead, my forehead is really like shiny. Yeah, I cannot put it on my forehead because then it would make my bangs look like they were dipped in grease. Oh, that's true. Well, you have yeah. you have those bangs to cover everything up, which I'm still <laughs> jealous of. Cover it up. Cover it up. Camouflage. Cover it up. Hey, guys. Well, I am here with Dr. Cynthia Lee. She is the author of a new book called Brave New Medicine. And we're going to be talking about her health journey, which is a really interesting one and I think will be relevant to a lot of our listeners. So, Cynthia, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. 
Well, let's get in. Let's dive into really quick your background, because I think that's a fascinating piece of this story. So your background is really in kind of traditional medicine. Yes. Um, I guess some people would call that, quote, conventional medicine, ah. um, as opposed to yeah traditional healing methods. Um, so yeah, I based, briefly, I grew up in um, a Chinese immigrant family in Texas, in the heartland there, um, outside of Austin, and um, was really motivated to go into medicine uh, for two reasons. One, uh, out of a desire to alleviate suffering in the world. And two, um, I was raised evangelical and the, the notion of heaven and hell and a lot of people suffering needlessly um, really plagued me. So going into medicine felt like a calling and uh, I didn't quite realize how rooted it was in my family uh, until I was much older. And um, my maternal grandmother was uh, also a Western trained doctor in China and Taiwan. And this was at a time when women didn't uh, often have higher education, yeah. much less go into medicine, much less become Western trained right. in Asia. And so I came from a family of uh, strong pragmatists. And there was a, a very deep root in science and in things that were measurable. Even at right. a time again, you know, where my grandmother grew up, where uh, most of her um, family and friends and communities were using traditional Chinese medicine methods, like acupuncture and herbs. So um, it's interesting when I look back at sort of, you know, that history that I came from this lineage and uh, and went into medicine myself because it was not really in my family's culture. Nobody really talked about it. My grandmother was long retired and uh, had actually become a little bit neurotic huh. from, uh, you know, just a, an intense fear of germs and uh, an intense sort of need to protect her family and her home from any sort of uh, outside negative toxins. And so it was just kind of, you know, I just thought it was sort of an idiosyncrasy of my grandmother. <laughs> right. Um, and so I went to medical school in Texas and uh, went into internal medicine, which is the specialty of chronic diseases. I did not realize how little I knew about chronic diseases and what makes us sick and what makes us healthy until my own health uh, failed um, a few months after I became a new mother. And first I developed an autoimmune thyroid condition, which is you know not uncommon these days. And then I, uh, over the next few years, my autoimmunity escalated into chronic fatigue syndrome and a condition of, um, of a disarray of the autonomic nervous system that controls vital bodily functions like heart rate, um, blood pressure and digestion. And I mean, what is that like being a doctor and a doctor of internal medicine and then suddenly finding yourself having symptoms that you've, you know, I'm sure di diagnosed in other people? Oh, my God. It's well, first of all, it was incredibly humbling, um, but it, it was frightening. Yeah, uh, there was a certain, um, you know, the invincibility that we we often have when we're young, you know, that, oh, yeah, you know, you, we don't think about health. We don't think about illness we sort of take that for granted. There's a certain invincibility. And so I had that um, because I had generally been, quote, healthy. And the 
other thing was that I had, as a doctor, sort of assumed a kind of immunity uh, to put, you know, to, to use a, a phrase that is sort of catch-all, but I felt like I was immune to chronic diseases and because I knew about them. Mm. And so information in a way I had used as my guardian. That makes sense though. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it was um, when I developed autoimmune thyroid, uh, autoimmune thyroiditis, it was, uh, yeah, it was very surprising, but it was something that I understood. It was something I could hang my hat on. And once I realized, whoa, something's wrong, I'm not, this is not just a case of pushing past the symptoms, um, I was very focused on getting a diagnosis. When my conditions uh, escalated into chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia, that, that happened rather abruptly and dramatically on a trip when I was visiting my family in Beijing. And um, it it was, I didn't realize at the time that it was going to be a long-term condition. I thought I was just getting a really bad flu and that I would get over it and get on with my life. So that part was, was really um, an existential crisis as well. Sure. Once I realized something, okay, it's not getting better. And oh my God, I fit the criteria for these conditions uh, because I, as a doctor, hadn't fully believed that these conditions were real um, because science yeah. had no way of measuring them, right? Yeah. And I, I was curious, I was going to ask you that because I know that um, in particular chronic fatigue, there's some, there's some, you know, disparity in the medical community about how real is this and how, you know, is this a psychosomatic issue? Um, and, and I was wondering if that, if that affected you as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I fought it. Um, I partly because I, I wasn't even convinced that they were real in the sense of having an organic um, cause. Right. The other thing was is that I knew how the medical, you know, the medical community of doctors and nurses um, saw patients with these kinds of conditions. You know, they were labeled um, as difficult patients, and there was a lot of stigma attached to it. So I actually exited. The, you know, the medical system in which I trained once I mm. recognized, well, this is something that's going on. I mean, not without questioning myself. I, I referred myself to a psychiatrist uh -huh. um, because I wanted to, uh, at that, that point, I wanted to, I wanted a diagnosis. It was better sure. than having no diagnosis or having these diagnoses. Right. Uh, but the psychiatrist said, you, very clearly, you do not have an emotional you know, disorder. This is uh, something related to your hormones, your immune system. And so I was kind of left at that um, and, and exited uh, the medical system. And it took me two years of being housebound to, uh, to realize I needed to try differently. Uh -huh. you know, like I kind of just kept trying, kept trying, kept going into the medical databases, trying to figure out, doing the research uh, to see what I needed to do and what drugs there were. And there were none. Right. So it took two years and uh, because that's how much I didn't fit inside my own paradigm. That's fascinating. It's, mm -hmm. it's fascinating that, you know, you're finding that your own framework is for healing is not healing yourself. Yes, absolutely. 
And what were in those two years, you know, what were your primary symptoms? What, what was going on physically for you? Oh, profound exhaustion. Uh-huh. Um, that's profound exhaustion and chronic vertigo were the two that really kept me. Oh, that sounds um, miserable. I, yeah, it was pretty miserable. Uh, kept me you know, bed bound for six months and then housebound for about two years. And wow. uh, I had two young kids. I had a very active husband and my marriage was really on, uh, you know, very, very thin ice. Uh-huh. So it was sort of like now or never, um, I'm going to lose everything. So that was really the turning point for me. And, you know, when I was, um, just reading about your, this selfie podcast in the community, I really liked, you know, the question about like, God, why is it so hard for us to take care of ourselves? And why is it, you know, why is it such a struggle? And, and yeah, for me, it was, you know, as long as I was functional, I was just going to push through it. And part of it was just, I just didn't want to complain, right? I didn't want to complain. You push through it. And so I really learned the hard way that, whoa, something has got to change. You know, symptoms are the body's way of saying something has got to change. Um, and so at this point, my body was really protesting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have been in that spot before and it's, it is interesting how we just don't want to admit, you know, when we, mm-hmm. um, when something's really going on and, or we don't want to be perceived as complaining or making a big deal or of something and right. we kind right. of swallow it down. So when you sort of hit that point, then what did you do when you realized I've got to do something? Uh, the first thing I did was, um, I went back to the fundamentals and so it wasn't like I just broke open to alternative healing modalities or intuition or any of the other more alternative practices. Um, I just went back to basics and went back into my pathology textbook, like how do diseases happen? And I was reading about how cells get injured and cells get repaired, but if the injury rate you know, exceeds the repair rate, then chronic disease ensues over a period of time. And that was a really big revelation for me because hmm. it meant that when when cells get injured and the repair cannot keep up, what ends up happening is sort of low-grade inflammation. And that chronic diseases begin as these subtle imbalances and subtle inflammation years and sometimes decades before a diagnosis can actually be made. So it, it forced me to, I wouldn't even say forced, it opened me up into l- reflecting on my life in hindsight and, you know, picking up places like, for instance, post-call after a 36-hour shift at the hospital. Uh, of course, everyone's exhausted, but like I would be dizzy and uh, my muscles would be really sore, like I had run you know, a 10K race. Right. And I, I just assumed everyone else felt that. Um, but not everyone else felt that. Right. So that was just, those were signs that like my muscles were inflamed that that my autonomic nervous system was already a little bit out of whack because I was getting dizzy. So, um, it, but the other, um, saving grace about understanding this fundamental, um, process was that it meant that I didn't have to rely on a drug or procedure that didn't exist anyways, but that healing could be a reversal of this inflammatory process. Hmm. So if I could learn what was triggering my inflammation and remove those, those causes, that maybe I could slowly 
make my way back to health. And that's, that's really what I did by sort of living my way into the experiment of life. That's so fascinating. And I feel like inflammation is one of those things. It's responsible for so much, but it can be such a mystery in terms of finding those roots. How did you, how did you get to the root of your inflammation? Oh, I mean, it was, for me, it was a 10 year, um, journey, at least 10 years. Um, had I known about functional medicine, which is uh, a new sort of, um, paradigm of, yeah, Western medicine right. that looks at root causes. So the way I would summarize functional medicine is cutting edge science, but using ancient healing paradigms. Right. So um, in functional medicine, which is the kind of medicine I practice now, we look at um, the body in terms of systems and interconnected systems and that we are an ecosystem that's affecting um, the ecosystem around us and vice versa. And then these ecosystems, the microbiome, right? The gut flora um, on your skin and your gut, like we're all interconnected. And so like when my thyroid went out, for example, um, I now understand, oh, it wasn't just my thyroid. It was my whole hormone uh-huh. system, which uh-huh. was imbalanced. My adrenals were imbalanced. My hypothalamus pituitary weren't signaling properly. And those are all tied to my immune system. They're all tied to the digestive system and the neurological system. So it's um, it's more complex. But if you look at it from a more macroscopic level, it's much simpler than trying to break right. it down into these little pieces. Uh, you know, as if we if we fix one piece, that the rest of it's just going to stay the same. And I want to ask a little bit more about functional medicine because I know you know we've had other functional medicine doctors on, and it. it to me, f- does feel like a more intuitive and holistic way of approaching medicine. Mm-hmm. If someone was interested in that, you know, how do they find a functional medicine doctor? Are there functional medicine doctors within, you know, general insurance policies, or is, or is that something that people would pay for out of pocket? Yeah. Um, so one good site to find um, a functional medicine practitioner is on functionalmedicine.com. It is uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and they have a find a practitioner database. So you just type in your um, locale and, you know, people come up. Now, I will say that functional medicine is, you know, I've been practicing it now for eight years. And, you know, nothing is sort of uh, the holy grail, you know? Sure. Um, Doctors, regardless of, you know, what sort of... um, specialty we practice in. I mean, we're human beings first and that, that first, that connection I find is the most important. So if a patient of mine has a great primary care doctor, I just ask them to stay with that doctor and right. we can kind of work, you know, with that provider. Um, and you know, on the flip side, if someone's working with a functional medicine practitioner that they really don't connect with, which happens a lot, Um, you know, I really advise them to look elsewhere. So, um, and, and, you know, likewise in any paradigm, we can fall into the traps, traps of dogma. Um, Uh so uh if there's, you know, one doctor who does like everybody, you know, goes on the paleo diet or everybody goes on the ketogenic diet, like Uh that's a little bit of a red flag is that, okay, wait a minute, let's personalize this. Um, which is what makes it the healing path deep, but it also makes it challenging, right? Because it takes time and it takes a lot of individualized 
testing and prescriptions to um, to find that path to healing. And so that being said, to answer your question about insurance and stuff is largely right now, um, functional medicine practitioners are not um, taking insurance uh, or they can, they, you know, they might have uh, someone bill their, the insurance, but it's, um, it's largely self-pay or a PPO plan that covers a certain percentage um, because a lot of the, the time invested with each patient is just beyond what most uh-huh. insurance plans will pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have, um, I'm a licensed therapist and it, there's a similar thing in, in my field as well, you know, where mm-hmm. m- most of the best therapists don't take insurance because it's limiting and because the, you know, the kind of things that are treated and the quality of care that's afforded to a lot of people looking for mental health services just isn't a covered benefit. So mm-hmm. it's it's tough. Right. There's some real barriers right. for people who are interested in in seeking functional medicine, you know, in terms of cost. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the saving grace is that, um, because we go quite deep, like a lot of my patients, um, sometimes I'll see them two or three times and they're on their own path and I don't, I don't Uh see them anymore. Yeah. So, um, that's the saving grace. And, you know, I remember like for my second child, I had, this was a very difficult pregnancy because of my health challenges. And I sought out a midwife to help me, uh-huh. you know, through the pregnancy. And I remember like, yeah, she was saying, well, you know, ins- unfortunately, insur- insurance doesn't cover these services because they claim that it's, well, I'm providing too much care. Yeah. You know, too much yeah. care. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. And then, you know what, the pre- the delivery was much shorter. I mean, granted, it was the second pregnancy, but it was much shorter. I had no epidural, no meds, no complications. Right. I was out of the hospital that first day. Yep. And so, like, we're not looking at costs sort of down the road. We're really That's looking right. at, right, sort of individual visits, which is what's very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, so how about, you know, for your own journey, what what did you find to be the most effective? I mean, I'm sure it was a, a number of things at, at finally pushing you towards healing and getting your inflammation under control. It it was a, a lot of different steps. Um, and in my book, I actually kind of summarize it with 15 steps that, you know, that I that sort of unfolded for me. And Uh some of them are are fairly basic. It's about going back into basics and remembering that, oh, my body is not uh, a machine. (laughs) My body actually still um, abides by the laws of nature. Right. Even though, even though our society is becoming more and more mechanized and more and more (sighs) multitasking. And so it's to say, whoa, okay, wait a minute. Like I'm still part of nature. So let's honor that, you know, so stepping out and getting a daily dose of nature. um, I learned about how to detoxify my house and how to do cleanses so that I could detoxify my body. Um, You know, um, the field of epigenetics where you, when you change your thoughts and your, your visualizations, you can begin to not just change the way that your mind is, your brain is wired, but the way that your genes are turning on and off. So I yeah. would kind of visualize, right, that my my um, my DNA was folding in a new pattern that was less inflammatory, 
And so, I mean, the, uh, healing the gut, I mean, these are some kind of basics uh-huh. of healing. Um, I would say my favorite uh, was practicing pleasure. Uh, yeah. And it's, you know, that's one of the first things to go. And it is. particularly, you know, if you've got a job, you've, um, you know, got these, um, you've got kids, you've got, I mean, all, I mean, just life in general. Um, one of the first things for me to go was pleasure. And pleasure was one of the things that was felt like work when I first <laughs> realized I had yeah. to bring it back into my life. I, was I like, resonate oh, with that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I gotta, I gotta learn how to play the ukulele. You know. Yeah. And once I started doing that, it, it became fun. Um, but I had lost that capacity, and um, so that's one of the insidious ones that goes. Yeah. And I would say, though, to answer your question, the two really big pieces for me um, was, first of all, uh, learning how to tap into my own intuition Hmm. and beyond sort of guesswork, beyond instinct, you know, which is more of a survival response or reflex. um, But learning that intuition is something that I could develop just like learning a musical instrument or like um, painting or any other form of art that some of us are born gifted, but most of us are kind of under this bell curve. And no matter where we start, we can always learn to develop it. So that was a huge piece because when I went into integrative and functional medicine, suddenly I went from having no tools to infinite amounts of tools and I didn't know where to go. And right, it's like, what diet do I do now? What <laughs> what um, acupuncturist do I try yeah. now? You know, like, well, there's too many choices. And to have yeah. to go through trial and error was was exhausting. So a friend of mine uh, was the first one to teach me how to develop my own intuition. And then later I studied with a medical intuitive to further develop it, not just for myself. I didn't but realize that was even a thing. I didn't realize that either. Wow. <laughs> but it, but it's a real thing and it's a very specialized thing. Huh. Um, so um, this teacher, Martine Blochio is her name. And she grew up, she's Belgian, grew up in a family of, of doctors and nurses. And, but from a very young age, she realized she could see things in people's bodies. She didn't know at the time that what she was seeing was disease. Um, And then much later in her life, she went on to become an attorney. Then uh, she realized, wait a minute, I want to use my gifts. So she studied, she studied with integrative medicine doctors, with um, healers around the world and learned how to translate what she was seeing into uh, into, you know, physiology terms and what, what do you do about it? So I've been studying with her for several years and it's been incredible. And the other piece that was uh, really key for me was learning that I had to inhabit my body. Hmm. And that sounds so basic, but one of the things that I had done when I, you know, when I had these really uncomfortable symptoms was to detach and just to wish that this was not going on. Um, and as I began my healing journey, I began to see how long I had been detached from my body, even since the time I was probably a kid. And, um, that 
I see it sort of everywhere in our culture, right? Somebody's jogging, but they've got um, they're, they've got earbuds in, and they're listening to music or listening to a podcast. <laughs> not that there's oh, anything yeah. wrong with that, right? But they're they're not actually in their bodies yes. at the moment. Yeah. Um, or how often, right? Am I doing? Am I driving? But I'm thinking about something else that happened, like you know, a week ago. So learning presence, but not just presence of mind, being present in the body. That's a tough one. Yeah. And the key thing there is that we can't heal something that we're not connected to. Yeah. Yeah. So whether I'm detached from my patients, right, out of just Uh coping, or whether I'm detached from my body because it was feeling so uncomfortable, I I realized I had to go into it uh, in order to heal. So Absolutely. for me, that, that way was um, Qigong practice. And I've been doing that every day for the last several years. Wow. It's so interesting just because, you know, we, we talk on this podcast about self-care all the time to a variety mm-hmm. of different people and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But it is so fascinating to me how the same sort of themes keep emerging, which is that the idea of presence it's the idea of getting out in nature. It's the idea of finding pleasure again. And just the, it's fascinating, the connection between these things and health, which we maybe wouldn't think of as primary connections. Absolutely. And again, I think it goes back to that, that statement where it's just connecting to what it means to be fully human. Yes. (laughs) And so these are the ways in which we're fully human. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and what's, um, what's been really powerful about my Qigong practices, you know, I've been practicing probably six or seven years now, and I really deepened my practice when my health crashed a few years ago. And, um, and I just reached a place where I wasn't doing the practice in order to get better, you know, so that was still a transactional Mm -hmm. mentality. Like I'm going to do this in order to do that. Uh I'm going to get out into nature in order to, I'm going to play the ukulele in order to get better. And I reached this place in my, you know, contemplative practice. And this also engages sounds and also movement is that I was just connecting to, uh, yeah, to this place of being fully human, but connecting to energies all around me. And, um, And so now I practice in order to connect, you know, it's almost like, I mean, to, to use a mechanized metaphor, but, you know, kind of charging up, you know, plugging in and charging up so that healing actually has become a side effect. Right. Instead of a, yeah. Instead of the goal. And And it's a strange... Uh, paradox that in a way you kind of have to let go of trying yes to attain health yeah in order to get there absolutely so yeah so that's been a profound lesson for me as a doctor and how do I work with patients a way that can you know guide them that way as well um, despite what it is that I'm doing with them uh, one-on-one in, in the uh-huh. clinic that's good. I love that. Well, I loved hearing that sort of the end of the story is that you um, not only found healing, but sort of shifted into functional medicine as, you know, a, as your own practice as well. Yes, yes. So it's been very, very rewarding. That's awesome. Well, um, I would encourage our readers to check out your book, Brave New Medicine. It is a very vulnerable memoir. It is informational, but also interesting and heartfelt. Um, Tell us where we can find you online. 
My website is uh, CynthiaLeeMD.com and it's uh, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A-L-I-M-D.com and my book can be found on uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound. Sounds great. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>